kind of startled me. Sorry. Something's, something's wrong with this. I may not be able to preach this morning. <laughs> I, I'd probably be all right. Uh, a couple things that um, I mentioned this last week. I want to I push this a little bit into your world again. Uh, the, the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn, there is a website you can go to and you can sign up on that. So that uh, so the more the more uh, pins we drop in Colorado Springs, it says that we are people that that uh, would like to have Colorado Springs as a sanctuary city for the unborn. gives gives the um, the group that's doing this. Um, they they they're only going into places that are showing a lot of interest in this, so that they know they can get this done and spend uh, the best use of their time and, and resources to accomplish this. And so go to this. Sign up. All you do is you just give your personal information, <laughs> nothing, Social Security, things like that. But um, and then and then it lets people know this address in Colorado Springs is interested in this, and and the more of those we get, the the stronger it is on a lot of different levels. So, so um, you can if you if if you need to, you can call the church. We can give you the website or send you a link or something. But it's sanctuarycitiesfortheunborn.org, and uh, and then just fill out some information there. I think it's. I think it's important to do that. Um, I, I did want to mention this morning, where did Barbara go? This Okay. So um, I want to introduce, for some of you it's introduced, some of you know who she is, but uh, Barbara Matson, um, wave your hand or, or stand on a chair or do whatever you think might work. But um, B- Barbara and Daryl were, were pastors in Pueblo for years and years and years. Uh, then pastored in Arvada for, for quite a few years, and then were the uh, district superintendents of Rocky Mountain District, which is Colorado and Utah, for uh, the Assemblies of God. So they are, they are uh, pastoring um, legends kind of mentality. Um, also just very close uh, personal friend of Linda and I's. Um, Daryl was at my birth. Um, my dad was in Vietnam doing something, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, Daryl told me many, many times he was the first person to ever hold me before my mother did or anything. Um, he was the pastor there. My grandmother worked with them in their church. And uh, Daryl passed away, and we had the service this last week and uh, have, have had the opportunity to be able to be there and connect with the family. And Barbara came to church this morning from Florida because she heard it was going to be a good service. So... <laughs> But uh, she is part of the family here. For if if you're newer and you don't know who they are, uh, please go by and say hello to Barbara. And and uh, what's that? Yes, ma'am. You can say something if you would like too. Do you want to? Here, let me let me give you this microphone. What do you guys want? You don't want to say anything? Yeah, it's a treat for us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so so definitely go by and say hello to her. Um, for you that know her, this is a, this. I'm not exaggerating this. One of the nicest people God put on the planet. 
Um, her and Daryl both, just, just great people, and we're going to miss Daryl greatly. So be thinking about this. This is just, as being a pastor, I know this, guys. I've just, I've just said this too many times over the years. Um, there's going to be some difficult times a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, things like that. If you're, if you're thinking of Barbara and Daryl, just pick up the phone and call her. She would like that, and, uh, and, and that's necessary for us to do. So, so um, I don't have any updates on the building stuff. We're, we're, we're running into some of the water issues, and so we've got a meeting tomorrow to try to figure this out. Uh, we'll let you know what that – I have no idea what that means. Um, I was just told this morning, can you meet tomorrow? And um, dun, dun, dun. So I don't know, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know as soon as – we know something like that. So this is um, Christmas. I'm loving this. This is, I, I love Christmas. I love Christmas on so many different levels. My, my wife uh, told me something a couple weeks ago that I want to share with you. Um, she, she messed up something for me for Christmas, and, uh, and it's, it's hindering me to a great extent. It was, it's, it's been hindering me this morning, and I want it to hinder all of you. So... So we see the nativity scene over here, Joseph and Mary, and she sent a picture and sent it to all of our family. She said, look, it's Joseph and Mary and a duck. (laughs) Now that's all I can see. I only see a duck. So Merry Christmas. I do like Christmas. There's, I think there's some things about Christmas. I think there's certain things throughout the year that um, this is why I like, um, I like what we would call the religious calendar. I think there are some, some great things. Is I think the Jewish people understood this at levels that we will never, unless you're Jewish, understand the depth and the importance of making sure that you have certain um, uh, benchmarks throughout the year that you have on the calendar that shows you, uh, makes you look toward God. And, and Christmas is one of those. Now, I get it, okay? I understand. I just, I just saw, saw some stuff this week. In fact, I went, looked it up, and just read through some things. The, the Reformed Church, the, the, the Reformed Church has some really solid preachers and some good theology, but man, they're just, they're Debbie Downers about everything. And, um, and everything is wrong, and everything's got a sin element to it, and everything is bad, and you should never have fun. That's kind of the Reformed overall thinking involved there. And so they had a big write-up about, um, I think it was one of the Christian websites or whatever, but the big write-up about all of the horrible things that have invaded Christmas, all the pagan things. And I understand these things. I've studied them. Years ago, 25 years ago, I kind of started getting on the bandwagon a little bit of, we should just do away with anything that has a hint of anything that was pagan. But here's the thing, is a lot of these, a lot of these things that we're celebrating and, and processing throughout our calendar belong to God first, and then Satan messed with them. So then why do I let Satan have that, right? Um, Christmas. I know the Christmas tree was a pagan thing. I get that. Um, There's two basic pagan things that go along with that. Um, One is the maypole. You're supposed to dance around it naked. Um, I'm hoping you're not doing that with your Christmas tree. Do I need to establish a theology of why you don't need to do that? Okay, I get it. I totally understand this. I mean, if you're marrying it, you're by yourself. I don't care, but, but you understand what I'm saying. 
I get this. I understand there's some pagan stuff involved with it. I understand that some of the things to do with, like, stockings, and all, I, I've read all this stuff, but I don't, I'm not serving any of those things, and they don't mean any of that stuff to me. And this, this really is the subject for me. This is really a meat sacrifice to idols mentality, okay? Um, I have no problem with Christmas tree. I love Christmas trees. It's not a pagan thing for me. It's a Christmas tree. It doesn't affect my worship. It doesn't affect it. Now, let me say this because I think this is important. Different people, because of different places in their past and different things, they, they need to draw some lines. I totally support that. I've done that at different times. There are lines in my life that I draw that I never preach about because they wouldn't make sense to you. They would seem weird to you. So I get it. If you're saying this is who we are, I support that 100%. I think that's a good, a good concept. But I also think if we're not careful, we get caught up in, in trying to, to let Satan attack and then win by taking things away from us. And so somewhere along the line, just don't worship Rudolph, okay? Um, I know, yes, he's real. I accept that also. <laughs> but I don't worship him. <laughs> That's... No, sir. That's harmful. But, but here, here's the thing with this. As I think there are some things about Christmas that, that first, we have the ability to, you will have the opportunity the next couple of weeks in, in all kinds of things, work parties, um, neighborhood things, all kinds of stuff. You're going to have opportunities to really be able to use Christmas to tell somebody about Jesus. And so I want to I kind of go there a little bit um, this morning. Matthew chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Jesus is the one preaching the gospel. That's important for where I'm going with this. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. I believe that sentence is a defining sentence for what happens in the garden in Genesis. We're going to go there in a second. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. I think this is... An interesting thing. Years ago, I was in a, um, I was in a doctoral class, and, um, and, and the, class, the class was Pentecostal Leadership. That was the name of it. And, and we, it, was, it was the kind of class where you come for a whole week and you sit eight hours a day all day long for an entire week in class. So there's a lot of discussion, a lot of stuff, and at doctoral levels, you don't do as, you don't do as much book learning as you do a lot more discussion after you've read literally 4,000 um, pages, um, and then you have a discussion time. So we're all sitting around discussing, discussing Pentecostal leadership. After a while, I'm realizing the only thing we're discussing is leadership. The, the class is Pentecostal leadership. We're just discussing leadership. And so I asked a question. I said, there, and there's only like 10 guys in the class, a couple of girls. Um, guys is gender neutral. And uh, the... the uh, 
the, the, I said, so tell me how are you, we're defining leadership, but how do you define Pentecostal? I think, I think you need to define Pentecostal before you define Pentecostal leadership. And I don't think we've got there yet. And so we're, we're sitting and discussing this, and everybody was saying things like, well, Pentecostal is, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, and we believe in, in healing, and we believe in speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff. And it really did have a sound and a feel like they were talking about somebody besides themselves, okay? But, but we discussed, I said, okay, so here's the thing. All of those things are part of being Pentecostal, but they're not the root of Pentecostalism. It's not the basis of Pentecostalism. What is, what is, the, what is the core foundation? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. That's Pentecostal. Everything else besides that is secondary. You will be empowered, supernaturally empowered to witness, to be a witness and to witness about Jesus Christ. I said, so now, um, now, and by the way, as I talked more and more, the professor was on board with me, but most the rest, except for me, one other person, most of the rest of the people in the class were really becoming resistant, verbally resistant to everything I was saying, to the point where it surprised me. I didn't expect it. And I said, so if, if we're supposed to be witnesses as Pentecostals, then Pentecostal leadership somewhere has to be about leading people to be a witness, be empowered to witness and lead people in that concept. So if, if we are going to be leaders, we need to be witnessers as Pentecostal leaders. And it, was, and it was very obvious. Nobody liked what I was saying. And they're all pastors. Every one of them in the room were pastors of Assembly God Church. I was about to say they were Pentecostal, but I don't think they were. They were AG pastors. And, and this is the next thing that happened. A military guy sitting there, and he, he, uh, he was the head uh, AG chaplain at the time. And he said, he said, Scott, the reason you think that is because you don't understand leadership. So let me help you with leadership. He said, you've got generals that tell other officers, that tell senior enlisted, that tell the front lines to go pull the triggers. The generals are not pulling the triggers. He said, they're sending people to pull the triggers. If they are the leadership, they can't be doing the work. They've got to be doing the leading. And I said, I have no problem with that concept. I was in the Navy. I wasn't very high on the totem pole. I understand being told an order, but this is not the military. And the leader of all leaders, we also call him the king of kings, he was preaching the gospel. The leader of all leaders, the king of everything, literally said that he was moved with compassion because these people didn't have a shepherd and they needed a shepherd. And guess why he came to this earth? To be a shepherd. And then he takes and washes Peter's feet. The king of kings, the leader of all Pentecostal leaders, washed the feet of Peter. And then he makes a statement here, and he says, pray that the Lord will send more workers into the harvest field. And let me add a, a, a parenthetical statement here. To follow his example of going into the harvest field. 
In fact, he went into the harvest field in a way that nobody else, none of us in this room will do. He didn't go from being God over everything and limit himself to human flesh and and to set that example for us because we can do that. He stopped everything, put on human flesh to what? To be a servant, to be a shepherd, to preach the gospel, and to be a worker in the harvest field. And then he says to you and I, now pray that God will send more people to do that. To follow his example. The best that we can do is follow the example from already being in this human flesh, already being on the earth, already having relationships, all this stuff. And then he says, just be A shepherd, just be a worker in the harvest field for this. You can do this. I understand in in corporate America or the military and things like that, that how leadership works. It really irritated me when that guy said that to me, by the way. I don't know if you noticed. I know how leadership works. But I said to him, it's real simple. The very day that I thought that the head of all of the assemblies of God in the United States did not believe he was supposed to be a personal witness, I don't want to be assemblies of God anymore. He's got to be a personal witness. Because why? He's a Christian first. It doesn't matter who's in the office. If we're putting people in that office that don't believe in personal evangelism, don't believe that they or a shepherd to people that don't believe that they're supposed to preach the gospel, then this whole thing is messed up. Let's bag it and start over. Let's start something that was what we were 100 years ago. Now, I've known the guys that are, have been in those offices for the last four positions. I've known them all personally. They're, they're good men. They're godly men. And they believe in evangelism, personal evangelism. And I told them, the moment that happens, I don't want to be a part of this thing. Because... That's not Pentecostal leadership. It's something else. Let me show you in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? You know, this sentence, is an, it, it, there's, a, there's a simple question to ask here that I don't think we process and I don't think we ask very often. Where was God when this was happening? Don't you think Jesus was watching this? That's really not even the right way to say it, right? If you're everywhere all at the same time, you're more than watching it, right? But see, here's the thing is is I I really do believe in a way that we don't totally understand, but I believe that that God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, outside of time, they created time. They didn't create time from in it. They create time from out of it. So there is no time to, to God the way there is to us. And then he creates time. So I believe that Jesus is watching and is part of, because he's everywhere, he's watching the moment in the garden the exact same time that he's voluntarily putting himself on the cross. Now, this is a, this is a hard concept for us because we're one direction limited linear time, right? But Jesus is watching what's going on in the garden hanging on the cross. So, so wouldn't it make sense... Wouldn't it make sense for Jesus just to step in and stop her? Wouldn't it make sense to step in right there in the garden and say, Snake, shut it. Wouldn't that make sense in the big picture? People ask this question nowadays, but they've missed it. If you'll back up, you'll get the right question then. 
They ask now, how can, how can God let so many bad things happen on this earth? How can, if God really loves people, how does he let bad stuff happen? The, the worst moment that started all of that was when he watched Eve turn her back on him. He's created everything. There's nothing bad. There's nothing wrong. There's no sin. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There's no death. There's nothing. And he knows that she is stepping into that darkness. And, and wrapping it around all of humanity, not just her, but everybody. And he's watching her do this, and he doesn't stop it. Why? Because to stop it, how many, here, here's really the next question. How many times would he have to stop it? Just because he steps in once and goes, <clears throat> that, that reminded me, when I was a kid growing up in church, um, you, you, some, of you, some of you guys get away with a lot of stuff. I didn't get away. My dad didn't let me get away with anything. I had to sit on the first two rows, and he was somewhere back in the building. I don't know, backsliding, but I was on the first two rows. <laughs> but then if I did something, if we were talking too much or I did something wrong, I heard a, <clears throat> that means it's going to be bad when it gets home. <laughs> some of you guys are playing on your phones. You're not even looking at me right now, are you? <clears throat> that didn't mean anything to you. <laughs> but, God, but, but literally, Jesus could have just stepped into the garden and just said, Eve, and, and stopped the whole thing. But see, he was letting her make her decisions. This is the concept of what love is. If you truly have unconditional love, you have free will. If you don't have unconditional love, you have some type of other control things put on. But if you have free will, it is backed by unconditional love. And he didn't stop Eve because he'd had to stop her again or stop her again or stop her again. He let her make the choice. And when she made the choice, it condemned us all. This is the thing that I don't think that, that we process is well, how did Jesus feel about that? He's watching this happen. They're choosing something besides his plan. See, this is, this is the basic concept of what sin is, is we're choosing something besides what God wants. We're choosing, it doesn't matter what it is. We're choosing something besides what God wants. Choosing our plan, our direction, our life, what makes us happy, however we define that. And Jesus is watching this knowing, knowing that there's going to be a cross in the future for him because of this. And then he voluntarily comes to this earth to fix this. It says here, of course we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, the woman replied. They were eating all the fruit of the trees of of all through the garden, every tree, every fruit, everything they wanted. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied. What do you think Jesus was feeling at this particular moment? Don't you think he would like to have jumped in here and slapped that snake down? That's a lie. It's a lie, snake. Well, it's not exactly like, yeah, but you know it's a lie. And you're about to destroy everybody with this lie. See, this, this gets me so much right now. And I hear this conversation more than anything else that's going on right now. From, from everything going with, 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 um, with, you know, the whole Omicron thing now? I know. Did I say that wrong? You know what I'm talking about, the variant. So the whole thing with the variant, this is what gets me is now 
we're talking again about locking down. Some states have already locked down for Christmas and saying you can't have Christmas. Oregon, who, everybody needs to move out of Oregon. Everybody needs to move out of Oregon. I was about to say moving to California, but. But here's the thing is we're already doing this, and now Fauci is saying we need to lock down. But here's the deal. All the doctors that know anything about this, the first person that discovered this variant has said it's not dangerous. It's not dangerous. Now, here's the deal. We're talking lockdowns. We're doing everything else. All of this craziness is going on all over again. But here's the thing. Worldwide, around the entire planet, how many people have died from this variant as of today? Zero. And we're shutting the planet down again? Guys, this is craziness. This isn't about sickness and health. It isn't about, it, the, any more than the vaccine has been about health. It's about control. And here's what I keep saying. Satan is manipulating and controlling and manipulating. He's teaching us how to get in lockstep and, and, and follow everybody else and do what the government says and obey and obey and obey and obey until what? Somewhere down the future, and I don't think it's that far, we're going to be getting a mark for the beast, and it's going to be just like everything else has been. He's, he's conditioning us for this. Years ago, back in the 80s, when the book When Your Money Fails was written, and it's the first time that I know uh, that people started talking about like barcodes and, and marks of the beast and 666 in the, in the concept of modern technology, everybody was saying, there's no way. I'm not getting a barcode on my arm. I'm not getting a QR code on my forehead. I'm not, dude. It, it, we, the idea of that was stupid, Now, it is not stupid. Everybody is already heading that direction. Do you see what is happening? And here's the thing. Jesus is watching this right now just like he watched Eve in the garden. And he's watching us. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And here is the sentence that changed everything. The woman was convinced And that's where we are as a society. We're being convinced. We're being led down this path, and we're being convinced. But here's the thing. The most important stuff is not convinced about stuff like the vaccine and all that. that those, are, those are tools that Satan is using. The convincing is what? Anything besides God's will. Anything doesn't matter what it is. As long as it's not God's will or his plan, you can be convinced. And then your destruction. Just be convinced. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Now, you understand a manger is, um, is not a, a barn out in the back 40, okay? That's the, that's, that's the pictures that we see of this little thing with a duck in it that is totally separate from everything else off to the side. And there's like, have you seen the mangers that have like a cross over the top of them? <laughs> Who? Really? Come on. That was a little early, Right? But this idea that it's a little barn, that wasn't the case. It's the bottom floor of the house 
um, that's where they kept the animals. And then the top floor, and usually that was exposed. It was open. You could, you could stand like in the, the living room, theoretically, and look down into the area where it was like just a few feet down into the area where the, where the animals were. It was part of the house. It's how they kept the house warm and fragrant. And so they, they would have family up there. And then all the people, all the friends, family, everybody's coming to get the census done. And so they couldn't sleep up in with everybody else. So a few feet down here, they were sitting with the animals. That's what it was. Okay, but Jesus, he is born down with the animals. Now, why does that matter? Verse 8, very next sentence. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. The rest of this is the angel showed themselves to the shepherds first. And we always focus on that these were, the, you know, the lowest classes of society and everything else. And these guys were like, they, they just slept out in the fields. And what Jesus was doing is he was being a, a very good um, uh, egalitarian, and he was showing himself to the lesser of the less first. And while I believe that is true, I think there's another thing that is actually a little more important than this. He showed himself specifically to shepherds. The angels, I'm saying, showed themselves specifically to shepherds. What do the shepherds do? They immediately run to where? To where Jesus, the great shepherd, is. They, they're shepherds. He's the great shepherd. And, and 30 years later, he's going to be looking on to the, across the people of Israel, and his heart is broken because why? They need a shepherd. This is why he came. Because they need a shepherd. But then he does something. Uh, a couple years later, he says, I'm going to go away. The shepherd is now leaving, and I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And then what we've done in modern Pentecostal charismatic church is we've said, yes, he leaves us the Holy Spirit, so we have gifts of the Spirit, and we can speak in tongues and all these things, which I am not putting down. I think those are important, but I think they are secondary. Now, not prayer language tongues, because I personally believe that's how you're filled. I don't think it's a sign of being filled. I think it is how you're being filled. But we think that the Holy Spirit is so that we can have exciting church. And he said, no, the Holy Spirit is to empower you to be the shepherd that I am. To witness with your mouth and be a witness with your life to people. Of who? Of Jesus. To be what? A voice of Jesus to people. Because why? He's the shepherd born in the manger. The shepherds come see him. He looks out on the people and the first thing he says is they need a shepherd. They don't need an evangelist first. They need a shepherd. Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. To who? To go into lost people's lives and be a shepherd, a discipler of them. Not just be a, a, a convert maker. That's where we got off base for so many years in, in evangelical church in America. Is we thought we were, we were just making converts. And if you believe that once you pray a prayer you're saved forever, then that's a good plan. The problem is, is it doesn't work theologically. And praying a prayer doesn't guarantee your salvation forever. It's having a relationship with the shepherd. That's that's where your salvation is. It's not, it's not praying a prayer and, and, and getting a ticket to ride. It's you, you have a relationship. And so Jesus knows he's going away, 
And he says, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit because he's going to do what? He's going to lead you into all truth. Do you see the importance of that? That leading you into this truth, you're supposed to, look, look how he, he continues this. In John chapter 10, verse 1, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the great gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. This is where we're struggling huge in American church right now, is we don't know the voice of the shepherd. We know the voice of a lot of people online. We know a lot of voice of the TV preachers. We know a lot of voice of all the prophets and everybody else. But we don't know the voice of Jesus. And see, this is the problem, is if you're going to follow his example and be this shepherd that you're supposed to be, go into the, to the harvest and be a worker in the harvest, if you're going to be this guy, you're going to have to be able to tell people who Jesus is and what he is saying, not because somebody else told you, but because Jesus told you. You need to hear his voice. It doesn't say you're going to hear, you'll know the shepherd's voice because someone else will tell you. You're going to know the shepherd's voice because you're close to him. One of my favorite songs, we, we, we sing, it's been a while, it's been a long time since we sing it actually, but I sing it a lot, it's on my playlist. One of the lines of the songs is, when your heart beats, I want to feel it. Talking about Jesus, when your heart beats, I want to be so close to you, I feel your heart beating. When your voice speaks, I want to hear it. That's Psalms 91, under his wings, close. Because we need to hear the voice of Jesus. You need to hear the voice of Jesus. Why? Because you need to be giving these, this information, this truth, this knowledge to people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood, people at the grocery store. You've got to be telling them who Jesus is, not because you heard it from somebody like me. But you need to hear his voice personally. You need to know him personally. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. We got too many people following strangers in society today. And, and I'm, not, I'm not totally picking on everything. I think some of the people that were watching online and the preachers and stuff, I think they're legit. I'm not, I'm not picking on all of them. I mean, guys, when do you just want to hear from Jesus yourself? When do you just want to hear from him? Just you and him. Talk to, I was thinking about this this week with the whole Juicy Smollett thing that happened. Um. You've been keeping up with the, the court case, and he was found guilty on misleading the place and making the whole thing up and lying and all this kind of stuff. Here's what got me, is when this first happened, almost everybody bought into it immediately. Immediately. Although, just a casual look. Two o'clock in the morning, zero degrees, Chicago, I'm going to go get a Subway sandwich. Oh, he already didn't have me there. I already didn't believe the guy. But all this stuff, but Why? Why? Did, did everybody, all the media and everybody believed it? The first reason is because it fit their narrative they've been trying to push. 
but forever and ever and ever they're trying to push this, and it's getting stronger and stronger. But here's another thing about the average person, and this is where I think we are in society today, why there are some people that I think are good, intelligent people that are buying into all of the stuff that is coming from, from Fauci and the CDC and the media and, and just whatever the next thing is. Why are good people buying into this? Because there is so much a lack of truth in our country that untruth is invading everything. And I'm saying spiritually, mentally, socially, relationally, everything. Untruth is being the norm. And so you really have to work hard at getting to truth in a way you didn't use to have to. Truth was kind of still the rule of the day. But right now, all the mainstream media right now has a less than 20% belief rating. You understand what that means? 80%, over 80% of the country does not believe the mainstream media. So here's my thing. Why are they still on? If we don't believe them, why are we watching them? I stopped watching them years ago. They're, to me, they're disgusting. The only time I had to watch them was in the airport. And then I did a bunch of oh, roll them oh, stuff. <laughs> he says, if, if, if you'll hear his voice, you'll recognize his voice. You'll recognize truth. Guys, we have to be close to Jesus to know truth. In the middle of all the lies and all the stuff that is our country, we have to be close to Jesus to hear truth. We have to be close to Jesus to, to know conviction. That's another one. We, the farther we are from Jesus, we don't get convicted, and we like that. It's comfortable. But let's, let's get in close. He says, you'll know his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. As he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they don't know his voice. We need more running away in our society today. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them, which was his disciples. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. And that is it. The statistic I mentioned last week about how many people, Christians, believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's scary. The thief will go freely and will find good pastures. I'm sorry. The thief's purpose, I've mixed two sentences. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And this is something that this is always going to be, every generation has to deal with this. How do you find rich, define rich and satisfying life? It's supposed to be Jesus. He will add all the stuff you need. But see, we add all the stuff we think we need. Or we think we want, and we think those are the things that provide rich and satisfying life. And different, different generations, I mean, uh, different age groups, they all define these things different. But it's interesting how we can pursue so much stuff that is not Jesus. Why? It goes back to the garden. Because at some point, we were convinced. At some point, we were convinced. This is, this is, the, this is what's good. This is what's important. This is what's best. This is why we have to have truth. We have to have truth. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And we're supposed to follow that example. 
A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I'm going to tell you, this really has bothered me at different times over the years, and I've asked the Lord to, to really investigate my heart, examine my heart. Do I do what I do because of a paycheck? Did I do? Now, I can tell you, you back up in my life, and it was not for the paycheck because there wasn't much paycheck. <laughs> Lynn and I were joking about this this week. Some of her coworkers were giving a hard time because they were, they were telling me, they said, you need to stop picking on her. She's bringing home the bacon. I said, I don't think, I don't think she really is. And they said, okay, she's bringing home the bacon bits, but she's trying. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Back in the day, I could prove that I wasn't doing this for the job because I was working extra jobs to make money to keep myself as a pastor. I was, I was having to get other jobs to make sure I could keep doing what I was doing. Nowadays, I am, I am fat large with money. So, so I have to ask myself. <laughs> I don't need no bacon. Oh, I got plenty. That's why I, that's why I work, to buy bacon. So. But, I, you know, I ask myself, I'm kind of joking around this, but I really do. I ask myself, Lord, am I doing this? Am I doing this because I'm a shepherd or is there some other reason? I want to be a shepherd. I don't, I don't want to fall into the trap. And anything that ever tries to trap me, I want to see it coming. I want to resist it because I've, I've watched this happen. I've seen people. I've seen people that I respect. Uh, eventually, they're no longer a shepherd. They're, the way the King James says it is they're a hireling. That's the same for you. Same for, for you. Are you serving God just because he's God or because he can do something for you? Or because it's, it's just a better life than other lives? At what, at what particular point is he your shepherd and you're listening to his voice and that's it? I'm just going to follow you because I know what your voice sounds like, Lord. Why? Because I'm close. I'm in close. And I know what your voice sounds like. As we've, we've got to be that person, those people. He says, <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he says, I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. That's an important sentence. Just like I mentioned last week when, when the Lord lowered the sheep down with all the animals and he said, eat all those animals. You can eat them. In fact, he, he said, don't call something unclean that I've called clean. As a bacon eater, I like that. Well, here's another one. He says right here, he says, I have other sheep too. Do you realize he's talking about you and I? Unless you're Jewish, he's talking about you and I. So it's a good thing that sentence is in there because none of us have hope without that sentence. He's got other sheep. I'm one of those sheep. And I want to hear his voice. I want to be close to him. I want to know what he's trying to tell me. He says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And I still believe that. I'm not, I'm not like pro-denominationalism, but I'm not anti-denominationalism. I think it's progression. I think we have to keep changing and reforming. The problem is, is we keep holding on to the older mentalities. That's the only negative. Okay? Calvinism is not a legitimate theological pretense anymore. Neither is old school Catholicism with Mariology and that kind of stuff. We have to move away from that stuff. 
Okay, we have to move away from, from idol worships and icon worships like the statues of Jesus and Mary and stuff like that. I get that. The problem is I, I, don't, have a, I, don't, I don't dislike those groups. I don't dislike Calvinists. They're just wrong. But I, we keep moving. But here's the thing. I'm not anti-denominationalism because here, here's what I know. Just because they, and I really, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but I really believe, specifically the anti-Pentecostal people, I think you're, you're messing around with something. You, you shouldn't be thinking that way. And you definitely shouldn't be saying that stuff. That exactly what happened in the Bible doesn't happen. Be careful with that. Exactly what happened in the Bible. But at the same time, I think they're Christians. And let me read this sentence again because I think it applies. <clears throat> Where was it? They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. There's one church. There's not many churches. There's one church. We believe some different things, and there's some things probably, maybe, that I believe that's wrong. Probably not, but maybe. Do you realize the potential for one person getting it all right is nil? Right? And so what? We're part of the same flock together. This is one thing that, that some evangelicals don't like it when I say this stuff. But I've thought about this, prayed about this, and studied this a lot. I think there are many Catholics that are Christians. But I don't think, I don't think they're all Christians. If you're praying to Mary, I'm struggling with this. Because the Bible says don't do that. Right? But... I am not assuming that everybody in this room is a Christian. Right? So, so here's the thing. We've got to let Jesus be in charge of us and be the shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life. This is Jesus saying this. So I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. And he was processing this while Mary was being convinced that he's going to come be the sacrifice. For I have the authority to lay my life down when I want to and also take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. The first thing is Jesus is my shepherd. I know this. He's my shepherd. He takes care of me. He keeps the wolves off, keeps the bears and the lions, oh my, off. He's my shepherd. Guys, here's the thing. I, don't, I, don't, I can't convince you of this. You, you've got to get this from the Holy Spirit. He is your shepherd too. And the second thing is, is he will take care of you. He will take care of me. That is a faith thing. That is not analytical. That is faith. Jesus, you're my shepherd, and you will take care of me. You will. Because there's going to be times when when. The serpent, because he's pretty smart, he's going to try to convince you of something else. doesn't matter what else. It's just going to be something else. So for me, the third part of this has to be, if the first two are true, and they are, then the third point of this has to be true. And that is, Lord, help me to be a shepherd like you are. Help me to shepherd people. Help me to shepherd first my, my spouse. Help me to shepherd my, my children. And, and I've said this before, and I've and I heard people say this all my life, and I never understood it, but I understand it now. 
They were, they were so true. It is harder to parent adult children than it is children in your house. You don't think that's true. Especially when it, my, my son was upset the other day. He called me, and, he, you know, the kids are not doing good. And, I, you know, that one, like a little rebellious demon grandchild, whatever the case is. And he was like, Dad, I just don't, I can't take it. And then the very next day, because I, I don't know, I just think God is answering some prayers on some deep levels for me. The next day, his dog ate through the wall in the house, through to the outside. He showed me the hole. It's like this big around. Because the dog hears the water, and it just ate through all the way out. And he's telling me this, and I'm like, that's, that's horrible, son. That's going to be rough to fix it. And here's the thing. They still got the dog. And it did it again yesterday. Let me give you some wise advice. Everybody in this room, this is important. Listen to this. You never learn anything by the second kick of a mule. Stand with me, if you will. Guys, here's the thing. Christmas, you got the baby in the manger. That baby is a shepherd. And I'm praying, we're going to pray this in a second, but I'm praying that every time you see a nativity this week, next week, every time you see a nativity, you think to yourself, Lord, I want to be a shepherd. There are people that need me to love them, and they don't even know it. And some of them won't even want it. Lord, help me to love people like you did. Jesus said he gave his life for this. He gave his life for this. Can't, can't we give some time, some energy, some resources? Shepherd some people. That's what, that's what Jesus has for you is to shepherd people. Let's pray. Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. Jesus, I thank you for loving me, wrapping your arms around me, taking care of me. Lord, you lead me to green pastures. You lead me to water. You lead me to a rich and satisfying life. Lord, I thank you for this. God, help me to see it and respect it more and just to live there more. Lord, I know that you provide for every person in this room. I know... I know different people are in different places with this, but Lord, just show every one of us right now how much you love us. Show us. You shepherd us in ways that we don't even know and we don't understand. You shepherd us. So Jesus, I pray that you be my Savior, that you be my Lord. Forgive me. Make me yours. I want to belong to you. Holy Spirit, do that in every one of our hearts right now. We need that. Lord, I'm assuming there are people in this room that don't know you as their Savior. They know about you. They don't know your heartbeat. Lord, we give you ourself. 
because we want to know you, your heartbeat. Lord, I want to recognize your voice. I want to be able to tell the difference between your voice and all of the voices out there right now. I want to know your voice. And if I see a preacher online, I want to know your voice or not your voice. That's how simple it is. Lord, I want to know your voice when I open the word. I want to know your voice when I'm praying. I want to hear your voice when I'm worshiping. I want to know your voice. Because I know you've called me to be a shepherd. Lord, I also know you've called every person in this room to be a shepherd. So, Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear your voice. Jesus, you're more than the you're more than the reason for the season. You're the everything. Let me hear your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We want to look to only you, Jesus. Only you. God, I just, I just pray against this stuff. There's, there's so much going on in this room right now in our lives. So many things we are attaching ourselves to. God, I ask you to break them. Break them off so that we will look only to you. Lord, you've given us these things as gifts, but not as the focus. Lord, destroy the strongholds that build up in our minds and our spirits and our lives that tell us that we need all the things we need. Jesus, help us to focus on you. Lord, I pray through these next couple weeks that you will show us moments that we can talk to somebody. You will show us moments and we can can just let somebody know that you love them. You're trying so hard to just tell people that you love them and you, you use us to do it. So Lord, help us to do it. Help us to be obedient. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Before noon on Christmas Day, you got a big window here. Before noon on Christmas Day, God's going to give you many 
opportunities to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Just tell somebody. Use Christmas. Use, use Rudolph. Use something to tell somebody that Jesus loves them more than they can imagine. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So, shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.